You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? Wednesday night, shout. The Buffalo Football Podcast is live and ready to go after a full uh, packed afternoon in Orchard Park. Uh, the Bills opened their offseason, voluntary offseason workout program yesterday, and we were in the facility today to talk to Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, Josh Allen, Von Miller. We're bringing plenty of uh, of reaction from all of those press conferences. We're going to talk quite a bit about it. Some some draft nuggets, if you will, uh, kind of getting to uh, pick Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott's head a little bit in terms of where they're at uh, now a week away from the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Crazy to even think about. I'm Matt Perino. He is Ryan Talbot. What is up, buddy? Hey, not too much. Really excited to kind of dive in everything from everything uh, today with those press conferences, talk draft. Like you said, it it kind of snuck up on us this year. And I feel it's been that way the last few years since the Bills have been in, in that Super Bowl contention. It's not a bad thing, but it's a lot different than when the Bills were in those drought years and you were talking top eight, top 10, top 12 picks uh, compared to, you know, mid to late 20s. So good problem to have, but the, the draft always seems to sneak up on us a little bit. So, yeah, that's kind of where I want to start, because I thought one of the most interesting things from Brandon today, we're going to get into so many stuff. I mean, just to lay it all out there, um, you know, we heard from Josh uh, talking a little bit about the early experience with uh, Ken Dorsey and, and, and Joe Brady. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about Von Miller getting acquainted with everybody. I thought he had a couple good little uh, segments uh, that we can dive into. But in terms of Bean and McDermott, I think looking at this draft, and how the board kind of stacks up for the bills is kind of what we're left to, you know, pontificate about over the next week. Because Brandon Bean was asked point blank today, how many players do you have a first round grade on? And he said, I don't have 25. And so from that perspective, now, you know, I think it was Jordan Reed who, who chimed in on, on that uh, observation and said, uh, according to his league sources, most GMs are coming in at around 16 to, to 19 first round grades in this draft. And if that's the case, you start to kind of put together your board and 
like Brandon mentioned today, seven, eight picks away, you got to really make a decision uh, whether or not you want to, you know, get aggressive, move up, get a guy that you really covet, or just get out of town and, and, and maybe fall back to the second round, add a couple more picks. So you get a kind of a, a, a couple more uh, shots at adding competition to different positions. Based on all of that, where are you kind of sitting here feeling this all out in terms of what direction they may go? Uh, when the draft actually unfolds? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, we, we don't know the exact number of first round grades that Brandon Bean and company have. And if it is close to what Jordan Reed said, it's it's not necessarily likely that someone is going to fall into their lap. The good news for the Bills is there's probably going to be two, three teams uh, that go quarterback in this year's draft. I don't think there's necessarily first round grades on many of that, of that, uh, members of that class. So that could push some talent down the board. Uh, the bills really stocked up on, on the D line. So some of those players that go, uh, obviously there's a lot of first round talent on the D line in this year's draft, but th- there might be some cornerbacks or there might be some wide receivers that fall down the board a little bit because of, of the run on players at those positions on D line and quarterback. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the bills could be sitting there at 25 and, and maybe at pick 23, 22, there could still be a handful of guys that are on their board that they have first round grades on. It, it, it's all interesting to sit here and think about it. And obviously, after the fact, the Bills are probably going to say, oh, yeah, we had a first round grade on this guy. If they stay at 25 and they take <laughs> someone, they're, they're never going to tell you the other way around. Oh, no, we didn't. But maybe the, the biggest thing to keep an eye on is do the Bills trade down? Do they trade up? If either scenario happens, I think that's pretty telling in terms of the the draft board and who was available at that time. If you see them make a, a bold move up, well, there was a guy that they really had a high grade on that they really wanted to get. Or if they trade down, they didn't see anyone at 25 that they thought was worth a first round grade. So maybe adding a, another day two or two day two picks uh, to move out of 25 might have been more worthwhile for them. So that's kind of what I got out of it. Uh, Brandon Bean, you know, he, he's a pretty straight shooter. He's always said he goes best player available, and I, I still feel that way. He's talked about depth. He talked about injuries today, and, and that holds true. So I don't think they're going to uh, go into this draft saying we need to get a cornerback because that has been the talk. I know that I've had cornerbacks in, in my mock drafts, but th- they're not just going to sit there and, and draft for need. They're going to go by the best player that's on the board for them when whenever that is, whether it's first round, whether it's trading down or trading up. The cornerback discussion is an interesting one to have. I want to talk a little bit about that and some of the insight that McDermott and Bean provided today on that front. But the quarterbacks and where they go in this draft, that is really the key to how this thing plays out. And so starting next week, Brandon Bean and his staff, we've talked about this on shows before, they're going to start you know, going through draft scenarios, doing mock drafts. With all those things in your consideration, when you're looking at the quarterback class, First of all, when's the first quarterback going to go? That's the the first part of it. And so when they're doing all these different draft scenarios, they're probably going to have one that unfolds if Malik Willis somehow goes at number two to Detroit. That's going to tell them, okay, that's going to push a couple more position players down, give them a little bit more, uh, you know, wiggle room or or more available players that might be potentially there for them at 25 or in the the range that they're willing to trade up for, Ryan. That's another big question. What is the range where they they're willing to give up the kind of draft capital or assets to move up. That's the, a really big, important question because, you know, to get a really top tier cornerback, you're tro- probably going to have to get up into the top 10. And then you're talking the cost is going to be pretty, pretty heavy. Yeah, you, you would think so. And I, again, 
what is put in print ahead of the draft doesn't always hold true, but uh, Sports Illustrated on Monday had a really interesting piece where they talked to different GMs and executives, uh, obviously anonymously leading up to the draft. And one thing that caught my eye was that teams looking to trade down probably aren't going to get the type of draft capital that they did in years past. And I thought, okay, well, that that's kind of interesting. So if the Bills do want to get aggressive, it might not cost as much as a year where it's a really deep quarterback class and there are teams paying a premium to jump up there to try to get their guy ahead of other teams. This year, there's not necessarily going to be teams that, that are uh, trying to get at quarterback number two, quarterback number three after Willis is off the board if he is quarterback one, which is by all expectations. Uh, so m- maybe the Bills don't have to go crazy to to move up from 25 into the top 15 into the even in late into the top 10 uh they might be able to get into that range to get a stingley uh, i don't know i, I feel like sauce gardener is still going to go too high i think you're talking top five top seven uh range there so they'd have to go up that high if they really were interested in him but that's something to keep an eye on um I, i'm just really intrigued in in terms of are the Bills just saying that they're impressed with what Dane Jackson can do? I don't think they're just saying it because he has shown flashes of what he can do. But are you comfortable with him being your potential cornerback number one at the start of the year? Because they talked about Trey White today, Matt, and they said, you know, you have to have realistic expectations on his time frame, on his return. And that's why I've said since the get-go, cornerback is so important. But the Bills also aren't going to to press themselves into a tough spot where they force that hand. Now, if the right trade-up possibility comes along, absolutely. Uh, or, you know, Andrew Booth Jr., you mentioned it last week. There's talk of him falling out of the first round. Maybe you're like, well, you know, we like him, but maybe we can get him at low 30s and we can trade out at 25, pick an, get an extra pick there, address one of our big needs, and then have more picks on day two when there's still a lot of talent that's going to fall on that board. Without a doubt, and this is just my sense, the Bills are confident that they have to lean on Dane Jackson to be cornerback one. I don't think that that's a problem, especially in the interim while Tredavious White works his way back. I've just heard way too much about him, and there's just been way too much inactivity on that position over the last two seasons that tells me what they think of the guy. There's other options on the outside. Obviously, a couple undrafted guys from last year, Nick McLeod and Elijah Griffin, who are on the roster. Saran Neal can play on the outside. Cam Lewis, he's got that flexibility to go inside and outside. But other than that, that's all you're looking at right now. So I do think that they address corner in the draft, but I don't necessarily think they feel this need to get a guy that needs to come in and start on day one. Because I I do think that there's probably hope that Trey White's ready. And if he's ready, then you probably figure any rookie is going to have a tough time beating out Dane Jackson. It's it's funny listening to Dane Jackson talk about the process of getting up to speed on not only the bill system, but the kind of traits and the kind of um, understanding you have to play that role in this defense specifically constantly every day, working on that off, off, uh, off uh, corner, uh, mindset it's different it's different than most of the time how you play the position that aggressive approach it takes a lot of reps it takes a lot of practice and even Trey White who's one of the best in the league to do it he talked about how much it's been uh you know a a growing process for him over the course of a few years so whoever they take I think expecting that and, and that's I think tells us what has been the issue with adding other players that can come in here and do that is that if you, if you spend too high a draft pick and you had Levi Wallace who was starting all those years, now you have Dane Jackson who's got a bunch of starts under his belt. 
I feel like they'd almost feel probably more confident in those guys because they've done it and proven it as opposed to turning it over to a rookie. Another interesting thing that, you know, Brandon Bean really emphasized today was how they philosophically could have maybe gone a little bit lighter on their approach and free agency on the defensive line and gone after a cornerback and spent some of the resources on the salary cap at that position. But he truly feels as the Sean McDermott, if you build it up front and you have the kind of front that can cause disruption, that helps everything else on the back end. And I think from what they've looked at on, on tape, it must be that the, the problems that this defense has had when they've had it has been the inability to, to affect quarterbacks, uh, ball ca- carriers, the offensive backfield in general with their front. And now with all the moves that they made to, to get better there, obviously Von Miller, the biggest of all of them. I think they feel like they could probably plug and play in a lot of spots in the backfield if all things considered Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are back there too. Yeah, and you make a valid point. I, the two regular season games that stand out the most to me for Buffalo's struggles would be uh, against the Colts, and Jonathan Taylor ran all over them in that game. They couldn't; they didn't have any answers to that, and that opened up things uh, across the board. And obviously, that Tennessee game, which was a shootout, and went all the way down to the very end. But if you can't stop Henry, you can't stop that run game. Uh, it, it allows Ryan Tannehill to be that much more dangerous as a passer because you have to play the run. You you bite on the play action pass, so. You bring in Daquan Jones. Uh, you have Tim Settle, a guy on the inside that I'm a, I'm a big fan of. And obviously, you mentioned Von Miller off the edge. Uh, it, one, if they're more stout against the run, you make teams more one-dimensional. That helps your cornerbacks. That helps your secondary in general. But then the Von Miller element, if he can get after the, the quarterback uh, and, and be a game-changer there, that helps too. It, it allows cornerbacks to... Uh, one, they're not sitting there on an island for a long amount of time. They might be able to react, jump balls, things like that. So it helps in that regard, too. I understand the philosophy, and it makes a lot of sense. And I also liked, not going too far off topic here, what Von Miller said about, you know, sometimes he's going to press some of these lessons that he's learned in his career on these young uh, edge rushers that the Bills have in terms of trying to teach them, get them up to speed, uh, you know, in terms of their development. I, I like that. So, if the D-line is stout, it, it certainly is going to help. Uh, one last thing on the cornerback position. Y- you know, I, I didn't have him in any mock drafts yet. I've seen him starting to go to the Bills in some. Daxton Hill might make a lot more sense than I, I gave it credit for the first time I saw his name to the Bills because he's so versatile. You mentioned it. You know, well, well do you really need a cornerback if Trey White is up to speed sooner rather than later and you have confidence in Dane Jackson? Maybe you don't need a, a starting cornerback, but this is someone that can play outside corner. He's someone that can play in the slot. So if, if you get an injury to any of those cornerbacks, he can be plugged in there immediately. He can also play safety. So if something happened with Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer, he has the versatility to play realistically five different spots uh, on this team, on this defense. So maybe that's what they go for. They look for what kind of value am I going to get from this guy? Not just short term, but um, in terms of what he can do for us long term, where do we see him projecting best? What can he do for us now? So uh, they have a lot of options on the table when uh, when the draft comes along here in a week and a day. Von Miller is a quote machine. I can't wait to talk to him all season long. Uh, he said, I'm an open book for these young guys, and I'm going to force some of my chapters on them. That was his quote uh, today at the press conference. He's a breath of fresh air, a lot like Emmanuel Sanders was last season. Uh, Stefan Diggs was two years ago. Guys that come in and, you know, they, they, they 
bring you in a little bit more. They, they, they pull back the curtain a little bit more. I'll, I'll be interested to see how things progress with that over the course of the season. Um, but yeah, Daxon Hill, I think that's really interesting that you bring him up. Cause one of the things that Sean McDermott said today, I asked him like, take us through like the process for you in the draft, because, you know, we always see those draft videos where, you know, Brandon Beans had been in there and Joe Shane and Sean McDermott. And there was that one video with him eating the raisin bran and they were teasing him or whatever. And I was like, you seem pretty involved. Like, what's this process like for you? And he's like, I'm a little bit different than some coaches. Every coach does it different. He's heavily involved in the draft process. Maybe he pulls the 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 gear back a little bit when uh, the players get back and he starts to kind of get into coach mode. But he's watching guys film. He's breaking down tape. He has takes on all these different players. And one of the things he said about the cornerback class was uh, defensive back class as a whole is that it's a really good deep class. And he thinks that there's really good players that you can get on day two and day three, which starts to get you to thinking like, okay, maybe, maybe that might be something where he looks, you know, they look to, to, to hold off on that position. But on the Hill thing, he also said in looking at all these guys on film, it's like, it's almost like a, a mix and match. You'd, you'd almost like to take two prospects and what both do well and put them together. And I think a guy like Daxton Hill, if he's able to kind of combine a couple things, play different roles, have a couple different like uh, specific traits that come, that they combine and they like that in the player. Yeah, that could stand out. It just comes down to is that value there at 25 to take the guy? If he is. And it makes a lot of sense, but maybe he's also maybe a target for moving back a couple picks, adding a pick and getting him at a, at, at a better value. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. In in terms of the day two, day three guys, I think this is a, a solid class. If it's someone you want to bring along, someone that you're not necessarily going to throw out in the fire uh, week one, if you're going to take them on day two or early on day three. And listen, if, they, if there's one coach, uh, assistant coach, that I think Sean McDermott has more confidence in than maybe any other one on his roster, it's John Butler, the defensive backs coach. Uh, you can pinpoint what he did with Levi Wallace during his time here, what he what he's done with Dane Jackson, Cam Lewis, obviously Taron Johnson, uh, and the more established players like Trey White. He, he has a track record uh, of getting these guys up to speed pretty quickly, whether they're a high pick, an undrafted player, a day three pick. Um, and, and I think that the Bills would say, listen, whoever we bring in, we have – the utmost confidence that John Butler is going to develop them into someone that can contribute. Uh, you mentioned some of the guys that they, they have on this roster from last year, from the undrafted class. Maybe one of those guys is, is more up to speed than, than we know already. Uh, I, you know, you don't want to bank on that obviously, but it's really interesting because Butler based on his track record here in Buffalo, it makes a lot of sense. And, and listen, it may, maybe it's all smoke. Maybe cornerback is the plan. But there's still talent in free agency as well, man. And I think some of these players are waiting until after the draft to say, okay, where can I go in and where can I start? Where can I go in and have a legitimate chance at a job? Or maybe where can I get a little bit more money now because that team didn't address the position early. So there are still talented options out there. But in terms of what McDermott said specifically, I think this is a, a class that has depth to it, that has talent to it, and they have a lot of confidence in John Butler to bring that uh, those players along smoothly. Let's get into Jordan Poyer a little bit. I've seen some comments, and I think uh, it's a kind of, kind of a good transition point. Both uh, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean were asked about the Jordan Poyer situation in general, and you know McDermott came out and was like he's been in communication with Jordan. He wishes he was there. Was there. 
uh, for obvious reasons, team building, uh, having a, a veteran guy in the building. But he understands that this is a business and this sometimes is how uh, the business of it takes place. And, and Brandon Bean echoed those sentiments completely. Both guys said they love what Jordan's done for the Bills. They love his family. Uh, he is as much of a reason as anybody for what they've been able to build here. And they want him long term. Brandon Bean basically said that I, I want Jordan here. But, you know, the more and more you listen to the both of them, specifically Brandon Bean, talk about this thing, it's got to make sense from a dollars and cents perspective. And, you know, if, depending on where Jordan Poyer is coming at, you know, Brandon Bean was asked about like having good relationships uh, with agents and players and different personnel people and how that makes dealing with all these guys a little easier, especially in a day like today where you see a lot of wide receivers out there that are you know, wiping their Instagram, like to, you know, Jordan Poyer wiped his, his social media uh, of some of the bill stuff. That's like the tactic now when, when players kind of want to voice their uh, displeasure with their contracts. And, you know, Brandon Bean said, listen, I just try to be as open and honest as I possibly can be. And he's like, sometimes he threw out a hypothetical. If a player comes to me and says, and their reps say, we think player X is worth 20, but we only think it's worth, he's worth 12 million. You could probably lie and you could probably try to like work around that. But from Brandon Bean's perspective, it's about being honest, building a, a level of trust. And he might just say, we don't have that value on. And you you know, if you're that far off, then it's almost like you're, you're probably not going to come to a place where both sides agree on it. Basically what he said today was they're focused on the NFL draft. Didn't really get into whether or not conversations are ongoing, but Jordan Poyer, voluntary offseason program, uh, doesn't have to be there. He doesn't show up this week. And now it's going to be a situation where you kind of wait and see how the, how long this goes, Ryan. Because if you think about it, there's mandatory minicamp, which maybe we get to there and maybe that gets, you know, he doesn't show up for there if there's no deal. Then it becomes even a bigger story. But training camp where I think I'm really eyeing because you you start missing days of training camp and then it's going to really get costly for Boyer. So I, he, he might pull something where he shows up, but like it's almost like instead of holding out, you'll kind of hold in like TJ Watt did, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there are still a lot of cards left to be played here from Jordan Poyer's perspective, from Drew Rosenhaus's perspective. Uh, but I like everything that was said today by Sean McDermott and Brendan Bean. You'll never hear them say a bad thing about the guy. They love him as a player. They they talk about the experience that he has and what he brings to this defense. So, you know, they really praised him. They hyped him up as they should. This is someone that was an all pro safety uh, but it comes down to money, and and that's how it works in today's NFL. There's a salary cap, and, and you're already paying big money to your quarterback and your wide receiver. You just shelled out big money to Von Miller. You have Deion Dawkins under contract uh, at a high salary, Trey White, Matt Milano, and the list goes on and on. Uh, you can't pay everyone. Uh, age gets factored into this, and that doesn't mean that Jordan Poyer can't play at a high level for the next four, five, six years. I'm not saying that he can't. Uh, every player is different in terms of age, in terms of the wear and tear on the bodies. Uh, but these these are the decisions that GMs have to make, and he might just draw a line in the sand, This that being Brandon Bean, saying, here's what we value him at. We would love him to finish his career here. Uh, it, you know, If not, we'll, we'll see what we can do to accommodate him. But it's, you know, it's just one of those tough situations in football that there's no way around it. There was there's always going to be one or two people in that locker room that feel like they're not getting the money that they deserve to get. And it ultimately is going to be it comes to a head in some way, shape or form. 
he, Brandon Bean said he would love to give every guy the, the amount of money he thinks they're worth, but you have that cap to worry about. So let's kind of fight through some uh, misnomers that are out there. Uh, I saw some people in the comments talking about Jordan Poyer is the sixth highest paid safety in the NFL. That's incorrect. I mean, Poyer is 13th, I believe, in what he's owed this year in actual cash uh, at safety in the league. And if you're going by AAV, he ranks all the way down at number 19. Listen, that deal was made before any of the Pro Bowls or the all, he still hasn't made the Pro Bowl, but uh, any all pro accolades. So kind of things change, but you look at some of the guys that have gotten paid at safety. And I think, you know, if I'm, if I, if I'm just looking at this from, from both sides, I, I think Jordan Poyer has, you know, a leg to stand on here. I think he's, he's played to a level that probably warrants a pay raise. And, you know, going into last season, um, Brandon Bean talked about this with Stefan Diggs. Diggs was the 19th, highest paid receiver in the league going into last season. So going in, he said today that he talked to Steph's representation and say, listen, let's get through the year. We'll meet after the season. We'll talk about things and we'll make things, but we'll, we'll try to, you know, get something in place. And that's what happened. This could be a similar situation. The issue that comes up for me, Ryan is a couple things. Number one, if you pay Poyer, you're probably going to have to pay Hyde at some point, right? Like I feel like they're, their, their level of importance to this defense is, is pretty even. I, if, if you told me right now, like Poyer and Hyde, you have to lose one, man. I don't know. I don't know if I can make a, a pick and, and who I think would be, it would be more detrimental to the defense. But with that said, Poyer's numbers last year and all the things that they ask him to do as that strong safety that gets up in the box, plays at the line of scrimmage, blitzes, does all those kinds of things and still has the defensive, um, you know, coverage stats that he has. Listen, I, I, I've been looking into the numbers here. I got a story that will come out on, on Poyer uh, later this summer. And he had a 13.9 passer rating against when targeted last year, according to Pro Football Focus. No defensive back in the NFL had a lower number. I mean, when – and listen, he's a safety, so they're not targeted as much. I get that. But then you start to look at some of the other numbers, the sacks, the uh, interceptions, the tackles, the tackles for a loss. He's at at or near the top of every stat category. And, and so you're talking about, all right, what is the mindset of the team as you look ahead? Because I think it is a good point to start planning for the future. But if you're talking about winning a Super Bowl, these next two years are pivotal. This is the window. And to throw a pair of dice in the draft at the replacement for how important those safeties are. I know they did a lot of, they've done a lot of work up front, but I don't know. I think we're minimizing the importance of Poyer and hiding this defense a little bit when, when you make that assertion. Oh, hundred percent. Listen, uh, the bills last year after Trey white went down with an injury, the cornerback play was pretty, pretty good across the board. And I think one of the reasons it was so good is because teams were fearful of that safety duo. They knew that the safeties were going to do their jobs. They were going to help that corner, the cornerbacks on the outside. They're going to be in position at all times. Uh, Hyde and Poyer don't get enough credit for what they do, but you're also right in what you said in the beginning, Matt, where if one gets paid, you have to pay the other. It's not like another position where, Oh, we paid Steph Diggs. Now we have to give another wide receiver big money. Uh, although I'm sure Gabriel Davis here in due time is going to get a, a nice little uh, pay raise as well. It, this is one of those positions where they're both so important. They're both so good for this team. 
And as Scott wrote here, best safety duo in the league, they rank 18th in spending at the position. Yeah, that's just it. If you pay one, you have to pay the other. And we're already talking about how difficult it is just to pay one of them. So it might come down to a decision where, okay, which one can we keep for the next two, three, four years? And which, you know, who would be the easiest one to replace? And I don't think there's a right answer to that. You can make a case for either one staying uh, because neither of them are easy to replace. They're both guys that have been all pros. They're both guys, that, you know, are all pro, first team, second team, whatever the case may be. Uh, Hyde obviously has a little bit more in terms of accolades in his career, but they're outstanding players. Uh, so it's not as easy as plug and play and, and drafting a Daxton Hill. And I, I saw someone else in here talk about trade up and, and try to get a Kyle Hamilton. Uh, you know, all those scenarios sound great, but no matter how good the prospect is, can they step in day one and make the type of impact that a point or higher make? I don't necessarily think so. It, it's just they know the system. They know the ins and outs. They're never out of place. Wait a second. Um, wait a second. Wait a second. You just said poid and higher. Did I really? I see. I'm merging <laughs> Poid and higher. I that is, you know, I'm that's amazing. Names, like, um, yes, that's amazing. There. Yeah. Okay. Fair so, enough. You know, like, nice. yeah. Did you see that uh, Joe Brady is a big office guy? Yes, I was very excited yeah. to see that. I know that, that always gets your eyes to raise a little bit when you see something Absolutely. like the office. Absolutely. And I, I think that honestly helps a little bit from with the relationship with Josh Allen because he's a big office guy. As silly as that sounds, just being able to like mention certain scenes or do certain, you know, certain things like that, it, it builds that rapport. It builds that relationship from the get-go. So I, I like when that was mentioned as a big office guy. I'm a big office guy. I have a ton of the, the Funko Pops behind me that you can't see. I just bought a Moshrew, which I was really pumped to find. So, um, yeah, always nice when, when you can uh, find someone that you can build that type of relationship with. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Let's transition to Von Miller a little bit because, again, we got uh, our second real big, long look at him today uh, talking about his first impressions of Buffalo and not so much Buffalo because he's only been here for a couple of days, but in the building and meeting all of his new teammates and, you know, all the personalities that we kind of know from covering this team. I mean, you get around in Isaiah McKenzie and, you know, a couple of the other guys uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, it's, it can be an entertaining place to be in that locker room. And so um, we heard from Von Miller today. My, one of my big first takeaways was he was asked about snap count. And if you go look at his last season, Last year, split between the Broncos and the Rams, he's playing about 80% of the snaps. And one of the first things I thought is, all right, one of the advantages of signing with the Bills for a 33-year-old pass rusher is you can let that dip a little bit, maybe prolong things and keep yourself fresher. No, no. I don't think Von Miller is going to be up for that, Ryan Talbot, because he basically says, <laughs> I'm a football player. I love playing football. I get the rotation, but I want to be on the field. It's like two plays off and I need to be back out there. That's just how he's kind of built. And so, and he said, I don't think any of the coaches are going to argue with me on, on that front. And listen, you pay the guy $120 million, 50 guaranteed. You're going to want to get him on the field and make sure he's there for all the important plays and all the important snaps. So I don't think we're going to see a dramatic fall off. I, I think this could be the first year where we see a defensive end for the Bills go over 70% of the snaps. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by that at all. The main thing I did like from him though today was listen, if I you know, if I have to be taken off the field here and there, okay, but when it's crunch time, I need to be out there. Uh and that's probably music to Buffalo's ears, knowing that he is open to be rotated in and out. It doesn't have to necessarily be at eighty percent, but you're probably going to have somewhere in those seventies at least, in my opinion. Uh, but he, he's someone that knows I was brought in here because there was a lot of close games last year that the Bills lost because on the final drive or one of the final, you know, the last few minutes, they, they let the other team come down and tie it up or, or get in those contentions. You go to the Chiefs game. Uh, what could he have done in that game? You, you you can sit there and honestly wonder. So he knows why he was brought in. He understands that role. He's willing to come off the field at times, but despite his age, he wants to be out there more times than not, but especially when it matters most, the late in games and those close games where he can make an impact like he did in the Super Bowl. Uh, and I asked him about that. I'm like, you're coming off of this unbelievable performance in the Super Bowl. I mean, some people thought he, there was an argument to be made that Von Miller could have been the MVP of that game. But I asked Von specifically, it's like, all right, you signed this big deal one of the biggest free agent signings of the offseason. And one of the things that we've been hearing consistently from the critics of the deal is that you're signing a 33-year-old pass rusher, best days probably behind him, maybe one more, two two more years max of production. Do you hear that noise? Does it motivate you? What do you think about that? He's like, I, I might be 33, but I don't feel 33. He's like, when I get out on this field, I'm, I'm rip-roaring. I'm going. I'm showing the, everybody in this building who I am and why I've been able to accomplish the stuff that I've accomplished. So, you know, he basically said he, he dropped the quote of the day. He was like, I'm a real sicko and everybody's going to get to know that really quickly about me. I got a different <laughs> mindset. And I think you got to kind of be a sicko to be an elite player, you know, as you progress in your career, 12, 13, 14, 15 season. And so, you know, that's something that it, it's not going to go away, Ryan. The people that, that, that wonder about how well this deal is going to work out for the Bills, as much as, as you think this was necessary to get a premier pass rusher, it only works if he continues to be a premier pass rusher. And he seems confident that he's able to hold up and, and continue to, to have the kind of seasons that some other legends have had in their late thirties. I mean, Reggie White, probably the, one of the greatest to ever do it, if not the greatest between him and Bruce Smith, he had, I think, 19 sacks in his last season at 37 years old. I was talking about it with Sal Capaccio today when I went on his show. Bruce Smith had 12 sacks in his 33-year-old season, somewhere around there, and I think 14 sacks or 11 sacks the next season. It's possible, but to make this deal fully worth it, he does have to come in and be that elite playmaker. And you know who's under a lot of pressure, Ryan, is Eric Washington. Yeah, Eric Washington should be under a lot of pressure. Listen, he, he was brought in here, obviously had the relationship from the time in Carolina. Uh, that D-line underperformed last year under his watch, at least in my opinion, uh, from you know the run stop uh, to a certain extent, but certainly from the getting after the quarterback perspective. They, they really struggled in that area in, in terms of maybe recording the sacks consistently. So having a guy like Von Miller should hope, you know, in theory is going to get him off the hot seat. If Miller's is the one that can answer the bell and get those pressures, create those turnovers, get those sacks. But yeah, there is some pressure on Washington, as you mentioned, but going back to Von Miller, and I did love the quote about being a sicko. You're, you're right. There are certain players and obviously quarterbacks different than defensive defensive end or edge rusher. Um, but you know, Tom Brady, a guy that just keeps coming back and he's still playing at a high level. And I know it's not the NFL, but Terrell Owens at 48 years old is playing fan, you know, in some uh, indoor fan control league and he scores a touchdown at 48 years old. 
you have to be like a, a sicko to have that kind of desire where he was talking about talking to Andy Reid last year about, hey, you know, sign me to the Chiefs and I can be a factor in that offense. There are just certain guys, despite their age, they, they are just football junkies. And I think that's what Von Miller is. He's like, he he lives this stuff. He he eats it up. He wants to prove people wrong that uh, at this age, he can still play at a high level. So uh, another thing he said today is he plans on playing out that six year deal. And, it, you know, I, I think a lot of people would be tipping their caps to him if, if that comes to fruition and he, and he's here for all six years in that contract. So uh, he's motivated, he's hungry to show what he can do. And based on what we saw from him last year uh, in his time with the Rams in the second half of the season in the Super Bowl, he proved that he can still get after the quarterback and make those plays when his number's called. If Von Miller plays all six years under his current deal in 2027, he will hold a $30 million cap hit. Uh, so probably going to have to get reworked a little bit or figure something out, depending on how things, uh, where things stand at the end of that thing. I want to get back to Poyer, but before we do, one more point on Von Miller. You know, one of the things that I think I was really interested in, in um, as I was listening to him talk about his experience playing with Aaron Donald and, you know, going to that situation, he was so convinced that, you know, I, I'm one of the greatest, if not the greatest um, pass rusher of all time, greatest defensive lineman of all time. It's how you kind of view yourself, it, you know, in the game when you had the kind of success that Von Miller's had. Goes to L.A., works with Aaron Donald, and he's watching this guy every day, and he's blown away, and he's like, man, that dude's on another level. And so I think that experience, and not only what Von Miller was able to accomplish himself rushing with Aaron Donald, but working with him day in and day out, picking his brain, I'm really starting to kind of envision what that potential information and open chapters could mean for Ed Oliver, because you're literally taking the guy that Oliver was comp to who Von Miller played with. He's going to bring all the trade secrets over to Buffalo's locker room. Like, all right, this is what Aaron would do in this situation. This is how Aaron won. This was Aaron's mindset. And Ed Oliver is just going to be able to be like the matrix, just plug in, let it all kind of start kind of coming in. Anytime I can use a matrix reference, I'm going to, I see Ryan uh, smiling there. But I'm really starting to think that the, the effect on this line, more so than what Von Miller does from uh, taking attention away from other players and having to scheme against them, that's going to help other players. But I also think, to his point, the, the chapters in his book, I mean, it's still being written. And you're talking about, you know, maybe a, a two or three part series already. Yeah. And like you said, there's still a few more chapters, le- uh, you know, yet to come. And, and he talked about being the open book, but forcing some of those chapters on the guys. And, and that's where it comes up with Ed Oliver. Like you said, tell him this is what Aaron did in this scenario. This is what he would do. This is how he thinks. You know, Ed Oliver is someone that is very motivated. He he wants to be one of the, the best at his position. And I, I think that he's going to listen when Von Miller talks. Von, though, is going to see what Ed Oliver can do in terms of he's just scratching the surface on his ability. I know he's been in the league for a few years now, but he's been getting better every single year. And I still think there's, there's so much more room in his ceiling. So having a a guy like Von Miller in the locker room who can shed some knowledge to him in in terms of what he's learned in in the league, what he's learned from Aaron Donald uh, that can pay big dividends for a guy like Ed Oliver. And, And, this whole defensive line is going to listen whenever Von Miller speaks. This entire defense and team is going to listen whenever Von Miller speaks. So you're getting another locker room leader. You're getting another guy that is being brought in here to be the missing piece 
uh, to get them over the hump. And, and I really think that's going to help a guy like Ed Oliver and some of these other players on offense and on defense. If you woke up tomorrow and somebody Morpheus came over to you and showed you the blue blue pill and the red pill and told you that you've been lied to your whole life, how would you feel, Ryan Talbot? How would you feel? I don't know. I, I'm probably not happy. And, and maybe a little surprised that he was in my living room or, or wherever I was at the time. But no, uh, yeah, I love the Matrix references whenever you bring them up. And that Have you ever seen the extended cut episode of The Office where Jim hires... Um, the security guard to play, I want to say, he says he's Dorpheus. He's the twin brother of Morpheus and he gets Dwight into this whole, no. oh, it's on Peacock. You got to watch it. It's really good. I bet okay. it's on YouTube too. That's really great. good. Tons of Matrix references in it. Well, you, you missed the point. If Morpheus showed up in your house with the pills, you'd be the one. No, uh, it's true. It's a good way of looking at it. Would you, would you accept that? Would you accept that role? Or would you be like Keanu Reeves was in the first one and be all like, I don't know if I want to be the one. And dude, you got to be, just step up and be the one. And somebody mentions John Wick. I almost feel like Keanu Reeves made up for the way that he played Neo early on when he was all like, I don't know if I want to follow the white rabbit and be the one and do it. Dude, just be the one, man. You're about to be like able to do anything like that forever has bothered me that it took him so long when he finally did. And he was like, no, when he put his hand up and all the bullets stopped. The reasons I'm talking so much about the Matrix is because my wife texted me and goes, "Stop talking about the Matrix." <laughs> and so now I just decided to have an entire segment on you're the just, Matrix. You're just going you go. deep into this, and I, I can tell you were bothered because you really gave Keanu a really whiny voice when you were pretending to be him there. When you're like, "No, I don't wanna." That, he was really whiny that, at the beginning. Yeah, there, you have some real angst though towards him for that. Uh, the start of that movie. He brought it back. By the end, when they went into the building with him and Trinity and they went to the, you know, they asked him what he needed and he's like guns and like the rows and aisles of guns just came flying into the picture. All right, we've got to move on. This is a Bill's podcast. <laughs> Let's go to Josh Allen. What was your biggest takeaway from from Josh Allen hearing from him talking about uh, a couple things here today uh, at his press availability? You know, I really like the quote about, I don't need to be here, but I want to be here. That That's what you want from your team leader. You have this guy that is literally all world at his position and not just in terms of what you've seen. You know, he, he was invited to the match and the match, in my opinion, those are the, the top four quarterbacks in the NFL and Bills fans, you know, you've got one of them. Uh, so it, they have this superstar, this guy that is, is national media attention. He's on TMZ when he goes to dinner, Matt, and he's sitting here talking about, you know, I don't have to be here, but I want to be here. I love the camaraderie. I love seeing the guys. I, you know, I miss them. He, he's the type of player that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott love because he lives for this game. He lives to play football. Um, that was the first thing that stuck out to me. What about you? Having him kind of take us into the process of what's happening right now with Ken Dorsey was really interesting. And one of the things he said was, listen, we're in the meetings, you know, Joe Brady's new to the equation. He's getting to know him. He's loved the energy that he's brought. Um, Case Keenum uh, met him a few years ago at a golf tournament. And so they played a little bit, got to know each other. So he's excited to add him into the room. And obviously Matt Barkley being back, there's a good energy in the building right now. But once the games start over the course of this this offseason, 
they have to figure out what this is going to look like now with Brian Dable out and Ken Dorsey in. And I was talking about this a little bit with Sal today, and then Josh went into it, and it's it's kind of good segue here for us to talk a little bit about it. Not only is Ken Dorsey a first-time play caller, which has comes with all of its own challenges. Josh said today, listen, I know it's crazy to say, but just hearing a different voice in my earpiece on game day is going to be different. He's had Brian Dable there as the voice in his ear for his entire career. And it's going to be different. Now, listen, he's had Ken Dorsey for three years. Every time he goes to the sideline, I mean, Ken Dorsey's there, you know, coaching him up on the field every day uh, or every game. But that's going to be a, a change. But now all of these things are different, right? A new quarterbacks coach, a new offensive line coach is going to be down there. Bobby Johnson had a very specific style, a very aggressive style on the sideline. What's Aaron Cromer going to be like? The communication level that has to go on between a quarterback and the offensive line. And, and Ken Dorsey is going to have to kind of oversee the entire production. And there, you know, Josh has a lot of confidence in him. But man, you wonder if this, if, if the offense gets off to a slow start and it, and, and it doesn't look, as good or as crisp as it did over the last two seasons, you know, questions start to pop up. And, you know, I don't think that I never thought at any point, as we've talked for over a year now about the potential of Brian Dable leaving. And then when he finally does that, Josh Allen was going to be dramatically affected by Brian Dable, no longer being his offensive coordinator, but without having seen what this iteration looks like, it's something to think about. It it is because listen, uh, you know, um, Josh Allen isn't going to fall apart because Brian Dable's gone, but Brian Dable probably knew like a, a, a handful of plays like, okay, if he's starting off slow, here's something I can dial up that I know he's going to be able to, to really run effectively. And, um, it, it might get him on, on track and I can talk to him this way. I, I know how to talk to him, get him kind of going in, in that regard. But like you mentioned, Ken Dorsey's been here a few years now. They've built that rapport. Uh, he's he knows what works with Josh based on that time that they have together. And, and then you mentioned a few of the other coaches here already, Joe Brady and Aaron Cromer. And these are guys that have play calling experience. Uh, that's something that Ken Dorsey can lean on a little bit in, in terms of, OK, uh, preparations for the week. You know what what we're seeing from this team? What do you think? Uh, and having those other voices in the coaching staff or on the coaching staff, I think that's going to also help this team and help Josh Allen early on in the year when they are making uh, a lot of changes. I, I think this offense, Matt, could look, uh, I don't want to say drastically different than what it looked like under Brian Dable, but I think you're going to see maybe some more two tight end sets. Uh, I don't think they're going to try to be 50-50 run pass by any stretch of the imagination, but they might have uh, something in mind in, in terms of their run game that's been different than what it's been in, in years past. I'm not talking about like the blocking up front or anything like that. Uh, it goes to them trying to target a guy like J.D. McKissick. Maybe you want to get your running back more involved in the passing game uh, in this new offense. So maybe that's something, and that's why they bring in Duke Johnson, and it's why they might they could draft someone in those middle, middle rounds that could be a pass catcher. So I'm interested to see how this all comes along. There, there's going to be a few bumps in the road. There were a few bumps in the road last year uh, mm-hmm. with, with the Bills offense and Brian Dable in certain games. And listen, those guys have been together for years. So anyone expecting this to be smooth sailing from week one to the end of the season, you know, they're in for a big, bit of a surprise, I suppose. But I like the way that this coaching staff is made up. They have some experienced voices. And then that the offensive coordinator that you have now has been here. So he's going to pick up, I, you know, realistically or what you hope 
right where Brian Dable left off. And on game day, like Ken Dorsey knows as well as anybody, you know, the ups and downs that Josh Allen has kind of gone through over the last three seasons and being able to be able to navigate all of that. It's almost like he's been like a apprentice, if you will, just waiting for this moment and seeing what works and working so closely. I think the real job of it is going to be getting Joe Tom, Joe Brady up to speed with that entire, how, what's worked for them. Like, it's almost going to be like, you know, Ken Dorsey and, and, and Brady downloading over the course of, of the off season here. And so Brady set up in a really good way to make life easier on Josh and bring his own flavor to the position as well. It's going to be interesting to see how, that whole thing kind of plays out. One more thing on Poyer before we uh, move on to one more topic and then we'll get out of here, how he's handled this. You know, I've seen a couple comments uh, on that in the chat wanting to talk about, you know, he kind of doesn't show up for a voluntary workout. He's, he's choosing to, you know, or at least his representatives are choosing to be very public with their stance on, on what they want and the potential of a distraction. If you think that there is one from a fan's perspective, I think all that's fair. I mean, I think it's fair to, to feel that way or, or think that, you know, you wish Jordan Poyer would go a different direction. Fine. But I'd like to push back a little bit and just say, listen, this is the business side of things. You know, the NFL for the team side of things, they have the ultimate control over players most of the time, right? Like they sign them to deals that are structured in a way that, you know, they can get out of them almost at any time because, you know, of the, uh, of the constant ever evolving uh, roster situation in the NFL. And so that's fine. That's the way that it is. Everybody accepts that. But just on the other, you have to accept on the other side of things too, that it's a business for the player too, and to uh, maximize your worth and your, um, you know, the ability to make money. And so I think the way that Jordan Poyer is doing this is about for a guy that has been an ultimate team guy, you want to talk about showing up, not showing up. The guys only missed two games in five seasons for the bills. And that's something that I think not many guys, especially the way that he plays the game on the defensive side of the ball are able to say that they could probably do. So I think this is a situation where, you know, not to get to like one side or the other, but I just think it's important to remember that both sides of it. I know you as a fan, you want your team to, you know, be smart and, you know, set up uh, plans uh, for players, you know, as they get older for, you know, replacing them. But I also think that there might be a little bit more happening here with this specific case. And there's um, more things that could potentially happen if you do decide to extend him in terms of other players that probably want money. So there's decisions that have to be made, but when it comes down to it, Poyer is a huge part of what they do in the building, what he means to his team, what he means to the front office and the coaching staff. And I think that this is just more of, it's just how the business happens. And if I wasn't sitting in there in a fan's perspective, I wouldn't take it too personally that he wasn't showing up for voluntary workouts. What about you, Ryan? No, I agree that, you know, there is no loyalty in this game, so to speak, where, like you said, these monster contracts get signed and and then a player's let go after two years and they they don't earn anywhere near that money. There's no fully guaranteed contracts for a lot of these guys like there is in the NBA or in these other sports where when they sign on the dotted line, they're getting every penny of that deal. So I understand Jordan Poyer's perspective. I'm coming off of an all-pro season. Uh, I've taken team-friendly deals ever since I've really emerged as as someone that's uh, really important for this defense. And, and now, uh, you know, I'm not getting 
any younger, I need to cash in. I need to get that one big deal, whether it's from Buffalo or elsewhere. I completely understand. I completely get it. It makes a lot of sense. Joseph Luke over on YouTube says, uh, Brandon, mentioned he's interested in a few veteran cornerbacks. Which one is most likely and will help the team? Yeah, Joe Hayden, obviously uh, very much in the news recently, Ryan. And mm. you know, Von Miller was playing golf with him. He mentioned today that he was uh, recruiting him. Uh, wondering what's going on there that it hasn't happened yet. And then Brandon Bean said, oh, Vaughn hasn't told me that he was recruiting him. But I'm sure Hayden's on Bean's radar, as are a couple other veterans. A.J. Bouye is out there. You have Xavier Rhodes. I mean, there's a couple really interesting names still on the free agent market. But I think, you know, they're going to have their their choice there. But I think it still comes back to the veteran that they, they bring in. It's, you know, I, I almost wonder if Joe Hayden's at a point where he might be signing on the dotted line to come in here and be CB2. And that may not be something that Bean can offer. It might not even be a money thing with him. And I'm not, listen, Joe Hayden's done a lot of things in this league. I still think he's a above average player. I thought he was really good in Pittsburgh last year, but I don't know if I start him over Dane Jackson. And I, and, and that's a situation where he might say, well, yeah, sure. I'm in, but I'm in under these, you know, circumstances. And maybe Brandon Bean can't provide that. Yeah, no, that that's just it. Um, I think one, I think it works both ways. I think Brandon Bean might be more comfortable going after a cornerback after the draft too. Um, knowing where this team fully is, did we grab someone in the mid rounds that we think could be the backup? Did we miss out on guys and maybe we could bring in a veteran to compete with Dane for that number two job? It, it works both ways. So with the players as well, right now he can't guarantee it. He he might not be able to guarantee much of anything after the draft. If the if the board falls a certain way and they're able to get someone in the first or second round that they're high on, all of a sudden that player gets knocked down another peg, possibly. So you mentioned there's names out there. Hayden, obviously. Um, he, he's another veteran that's at, you know past 30. Doesn't necessarily have the same speed that he once had. But he he could be at least a, a solid contributor. Uh, Boye is someone that played with uh, John Butler before in their time in Houston. Uh, so there is a relationship there. So that makes sense. And Rose is a, a guy who I think he's only had really one bad year in his entire career. So he's a solid corner. So the, the, the market is still there. I think players and teams right now, they're in a wait and see mode until after this draft. See, is it a big need for us? What can we promise these players post-draft? And you don't want to promise them a starting job or anything of of those lines, but you're going to be able to give them a clearer picture of their opportunities, at least after the draft. Let's set up the plan for next week, Ryan. Well, we do it right on the air here. We don't even have to wait till (laughs) after after the show. I'm thinking we do a Monday final mock draft edition. We do our draft preview show. Maybe we'll have a guest or two on Wednesday night. Uh, to preview the draft. And then Thursday will be live after Bean. Friday will be live. And then Saturday will be live. So potentially five shows next week, next week, right? But now we can either do a Monday, Wednesday show, or we can do one big, absolutely fantastically huge Wednesday show. What do you think there? I'm leaning Monday and Wednesday. I think Monday we get that final mock draft. We can maybe pull it up on the screen and, and simulate okay. it on the draft network, something like that. Discuss it. Do we bring a uh, Do we bring a couple people in for that? I wouldn't mind that because then you can, you know, two or three different a voices. Live mock. A live mock. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, I like it too because they'll throw trade snares and we can all ponder those as well. So yeah, let's do live mock on Monday. 
Uh, let's go Wednesday with the second show. And I see people asking uh, about, you know, are you going to go live on, on Thursday night? Probably not before the pick because things are so wild, right? I mean, I don't want to speak right, for you right, either, right, right. but you just never know. There's talk, you know, every year about teams dra- uh, moving up, moving what down. What I think we could do, maybe what we could do is maybe do a short Twitter spaces if you guys would be into it. that. We'll do like a Twitter spaces. Um, if you're not on Twitter, apologies. It's just a little bit of an easier platform to do without the video, especially since I'll be at the facility. And so it's a little bit harder to set up the videos. And so let's do a Twitter spaces during the draft as we lead up. I might have to go. Ryan and I might have to go if the Bills straight up and make a pick. <laughs> but we could talk about like strategy, how the thing's playing out. So follow us on Twitter at Matt Perino at Ryan Talbot Bills. You can listen to that. We'll upload it to all the audio platforms right away so people can uh, get a look at that. And we're actually thinking about other different fun ideas to for for additional shows over the course of the offseason, definitely into training camp. Training camp coverage, you know, you guys know what to expect. Daily recaps from training camp practice. I can't wait. I'll be in Rochester. Get Ryan Talbot out there for a bunch of practices. Hopefully, uh, it's going to be a fun time. Final thoughts, Mister Talbot. Final thoughts. I cannot wait for this draft. This, you know, e- even though the Bills are very good now and they, and they have this legitimate Super Bowl window, the draft is always one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, whether I was a kid growing up watching the team or, or now covering the team, I, I'm just a junkie for this stuff. So I cannot wait uh, for next week, next Thursday night, and everything. You know, all the rumors and, and the news and the speculation leading up to it that'll really heat up next week, probably early in the week. I, I really look forward to that. Keep your eye out for that. Oh. Probably Wednesday or Thursday. A draft, you know, draft speculation tracker. I got a final thought: Debo Samuel to the Bills. Like it, hate it, impossible to do. Where do you sit? Knowing what Debo can do, I I love it from that perspective. But, you know, uh, then again, you're talking about these players on the team currently that want to get paid. You you bring in Debo, you're going to have to pay him a sizable piece of the pie, so to speak. And then I think that could even, uh, you know, shake things up in the locker room a little bit and not in a positive way, so to speak. But talent wise, yeah, that'd be a slam dunk. Um, a little surprised that he wants to move on from the 49ers based on what he's seen. But obviously th- there are other teams out there that would probably give him a, a boatload of money and uh, utilize him in a similar manner. From a perspective of putting weapons around Josh Allen, I'll never rule out a move like this just because mm-hmm. of what that can mean. And, and you can figure things out down the road. I mean, if you got to give... Gabriel Davis a deal and then you're paying three wide receivers in the 20 plus million dollar range and that's you know if Gabriel Davis reaches those kinds of heights and maybe that that'll be a situation where we'll see we'll see what the next two years look like for Gabriel Davis but in terms of right now if you could figure out a way to do it financially and move some things around I mean you know you mentioned Jordan Poyer if they're not able to kind of come to an agreement if they're if that's an area where you know, maybe you start to reshuffle the deck a little bit in the draft that the Bills can get a young linebacker and maybe move Tremaine Edmonds in a deal. Like there's so many different things that like like ways they can go about it. I mean, I, I really think that there's something to this idea that the Bills think their defense is really going to run based on how they play up front. And if that's the case, maybe you can start to flip out some of those pieces in the back seven. I mean, struggled against the really high octane passing offenses the last couple of years. That is a truth. And the best way to win in this league is to fully load up on offense and they have the quarterback to do it. So listen, 
that's the type of move when a guy like this becomes available. We talk so much as we go through these drafts, lead ups to the draft. All right, this guy's get, getting comps to Debo Samuel. What, what if you could get Debo Samuel and add him into the mix? <laughs> I, I think it's super interesting. I think it's going to be really tough to figure something like that out financially and from a trade perspective, how much it would cost, future first, all those kind of things for a receiver. Um, I know they've done it before for Stefan Diggs, but I don't know. I think, I think there's a, maybe a little, a, a few too many hurdles to climb to have all those stars aligned. Yeah, no, I agree completely. It's a nice thought in theory, and I would never rule anything out in terms of what Brandon Bean can do, uh, but it would be a little bit of a surprise as well. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. I'm glad we got that in. I definitely wanted to bring it up uh, on the show. Fun little uh, fantasy land talk every once in a while, and I'm sure – we're going to get blown up in the, in the, in the dynasty league with trade offers and, you know, depending on where he goes. I also think Debo Samuel, this whole thing popping up with the trade request could be maybe a little bit of an indictment on, um, the quarterback, Trey Lance, Trey Lance, which, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be quite something if the, if they took a quarterback, Kyle Shanahan, all these years having a top three pick, getting a quarterback and having it be a flop. And I'm not putting that on the kid. I mean, he has barely played any football yet. We really don't know. But with a young quarterback like that, it is kind of surprising to see, you know, a guy that, you know, it's a pretty good situation with Shanahan who knows how to use you so well. I know one of the stories coming out from Palisaro is that he wants to be more than that hybrid type of guy because he takes a beating in that uh, role. You know, maybe doesn't want to be a running back as much. I kind of get all that. But anyway, kind of running on a lot of a little bit long here. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. We'll have more for you on Monday. We're going to have five shows next week. My wife texted me and said, geez, thanks a lot, Ryan, for five shows. So there's that. <laughs> we'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll have more stuff at the site for you guys uh, throughout the, the lead up. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. 